Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. I don't know about you, but I've been called many things in my lifetime. Without we'll go into that now. But I can't actually bring to mind that I've ever been called by anyone to my face the salt of the earth. I can't remember anybody ever saying to me, you know, Peter, you're the salt of the earth. They might have said it about me, but not to me. And I've certainly never had anybody come up to me and say, Peter, you're the light of the world. Yeah, we can think of people, can't we, that we may have described as the salt of the earth. And whilst we think we might know what that means, somehow it's rather difficult to actually pin the meaning down. What are we saying? They're a good sort, a reliable, decent kind of person, someone who's totally dependable and trustworthy. Well, yes, I guess all of these attributes and more are reflected in that term, salt of the earth. But then, light of the world. <laughs> I've never heard anyone call anybody else light of the world, even though I've heard other people talk about somebody being salt of the earth. The only person I've ever heard called light of the world is Jesus himself. But here, in the Sermon on the Mount, straight after those opening verses that we call the Beatitudes, Jesus says not of himself, but of his followers who had gathered around him on the mountain to hear him teach and preach. He said to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And of course, in this manual of discipleship, this first chunk of teaching in Matthew's gospel that we call the Sermon on the Mount, those words of Jesus are addressed to you and to me, as well as those who heard Jesus say them at the time. So then, what's the implication of all this? What is Jesus saying to you and me when he says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world? Well, clearly, Jesus is saying something about the kind of people that we are, or we should be, as his followers and disciples. But I think he's also saying something to us, not only about the kind of people we are, but from that, what we as disciples should be about, what we should be doing. So then, what kind of people are we who are called to be salt of the earth and light to the world? Well, let's think of salt first. To our ears in 21st century Britain, salt has become a bit of a dirty word, hasn't it? For health reasons, we're greatly discouraged these days from putting salt on our meals. 
And manufacturers are urged not to add salt to the foods they process. We don't mind the councils, of course, spreading salt on our roads when it's icy or snowy. But that aside, we don't seem to see much positive benefit from salt in our society today. But that most definitely wasn't the case in Jesus' age and culture. Then, salt was an essential preservative of food in days long before refrigeration could even be dreamt of, as well as it being used in the seasoning or flavoring of food. But more than that, salt was also used as a means of healing, albeit at times as a painful remedy, as you'll know only too well if you've ever caught salt on an open wound on your hand. Now, Jesus says that if salt has lost its taste, its saltiness, in other words, if it's lost the essential essence of being salt, that cannot be restored. It, it's no longer good for anything, he says, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. What Jesus seems to be saying here is that salt by itself isn't really of very much use. Salt comes into its own only when it's brought into contact with something else, whether that is food to preserve or season it, whether it's a wound to heal it, or even whether it's ice on the road to melt it. Then salt has an impact. It makes a difference, and its worth and its value are appreciated. Then its saltiness comes to the fore. In some ways, it's rather like yeast, which Jesus will go on and talk about later in the gospel. Yeast seems rather small and insignificant by itself, just like salt. But add yeast to dough, and then it has a vital influence in causing the baking bread to rise into a tasty loaf. So it is with disciples of Jesus. Our Christian discipleship has an impact only when it touches the lives of those around us. Only when it expresses itself in acts of compassion, mercy, kindness, and self-giving love to neighbors, friends, colleagues, strangers, those who stand in a place of need. Kept to ourselves, rather like salt, it can lose its saltiness, its essential nature of discipleship. But others begin to see its worth and its value when our Christian discipleship impacts upon their lives. Then they come to see that it has practical relevance and meaning in everyday life and that it can provide a window into the heart of God and the life of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. I think the teaching of Jesus helps me to understand better what we should really mean when we call someone the salt of the earth. And to be reminded that this is what Jesus calls you and me. Salt of the earth is what we should all be. 
disciples committed to the way of Jesus and the kingdom values that he gives us as in the Sermon on the Mount. Disciples who by their engagement with others in the world have an impact and make a difference to human lives and situations. So much for salt. What about light? Jesus then goes on to say, you, you are light to the world. I think it's harder for us to take this on board. Okay, we can accept we're the salt of the earth because we use it as a term we apply to others. But light of the world, surely that's exclusive to Jesus. Well, not according to Jesus himself. And you know, maybe Jesus' Jewish hearers might not have found this saying quite so surprising or even problematical as we do. Those first hearers of Jesus' sermon would have heard from the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, an understanding that Israel was called by God to be the light of the world. The prophecies of Isaiah and of others had made this clear. Through his people Israel, God's intention was to shine his light into the world's darkest places. Not only to expose evil, but to lead people groping in the darkness to find their way to God. To safety and salvation, to healing and wholeness, to the fullness of life God desired to give them. The prophets had seen Jerusalem as a focal point for all the nations of the earth, a beacon set high upon Mount Zion, so that a prophet like Isaiah could write, Many people shall say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. House of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Perhaps Jesus has such verses in mind when he goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Just as Jesus came to fulfill what God had intended that Israel should be and should do, so also Jesus' followers, the new Israel, were called themselves to be beacons of light to all the world. This was again, as with the image of salt, about who disciples are and what disciples should do. And Jesus instructs his followers here to be lamps and to do what lamps are supposed to do. To be placed where the maximum amount of light can be shed around the whole house. Now, this isn't about Christian disciples being showy and ostentatious. It's about letting the world see as clearly as possible what kind of people we as Christian disciples are and how we live and behave before the world. Of course, while that inevitably draws attention upon ourselves, which has the potential for going catastrophically wrong, 
as the Pharisees very clearly demonstrated, we as disciples remember that it's not our light we are bringing to the world, but the light of Christ. The light of the one who said, I am the light of the world. Through seeing the light of good works, others, says Jesus, will give glory to God in heaven. But light, of course, is not always welcomed, even in very dark places. Light isn't always welcome when it shines out prominently and exposes and reveals what's lurking unnoticed and hidden in dark corners. But Christian disciples have a commission from Jesus to bring his light into the dark recesses of human life, into places of injustice, of cruelty, of poverty, of neglect, of hopelessness, of despair, of conflict, of violence, and in so many other dark places besides. The statement of Jesus, you are the light of the world, is about Christian disciples and Christian churches doing precisely what the Lord required of Israel as the light of the world. When he said this through the prophecy of Isaiah, words we heard in our Old Testament reading. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. We are called then by Jesus to shine the light of Christ into the world's darkest places, to be like Jesus, light to the world. So then, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And hearing all that, it may well be that you, as well as I, have a sense that, in many ways, this calling is beyond me, is beyond us. Especially when Jesus goes on to add that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. How can we possibly outdo these most scrupulous and fastidious upholders of religious law. Well, their problem was that their righteousness consisted only of outward conduct and not of inner motivation and character. Through the Beatitudes and these metaphors of salt and light, Jesus says that both outward conduct and inner motivation and character 
are needed in our Christian discipleship. For you see, it's what goes on in the heart. It's the motivation of our hearts. It's the kind of people we are, the character that has been formed within us through Christ that determines our conduct, that determines whether we keep our faith just to ourselves and our light hidden under a basket, or determines whether the light of Christ just shines and radiates out of us so that others can't help but see Christ shining through us. And you know, we don't do that by sheer will of effort and determination. We do that because of Christ who comes to dwell within us through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who brings us that inner motivation for our lives. The Holy Spirit who forms the character of Christ within each one of us. And it is as that character of Christ is forming within us, it is as our hearts are motivated to do those things of the kingdom that Jesus calls us to do, that we turn to Jesus and that we trust him, as Kina was suggesting earlier that we did. That we turn to Jesus and say, I know this isn't down to me. This isn't down to my goodness. This isn't down to what I can do. This isn't down to my gifts and qualities and abilities and skills. This is down to you, Lord, working in and through me. This is down to you, enabling me to be the salt of the earth, shining your light through me so that I may be light to the world. So this morning, let's come and open ourselves afresh to the presence of Christ, to the Christ who doesn't just tell us to be salt of the earth, and light to the world, but comes to dwell within us that he may empower and enable us to be those things that he calls us to be and to do those things that he calls us to do. And so, that as we reflect upon these words of Jesus for us today, we may once again invite Christ further into our hearts and our lives that he may give us that inner motivation of heart that we need, that he may give to us that character of Christ being formed within us and then enable through that his light to shine out to others in the world around us. Thanks be to God. Amen.